Hi, and welcome back to Reflect Forward. I'm your host, Carrie Siggins, and I am so glad you are here today. Today is my 100th episode of Reflect Forward, and I am blown away that we've created 100 episodes. When I first started this podcast, I thought it would be once a month, and then I had someone tell me, you have to have a podcast that goes out every week. And I said, I can't possibly have a podcast that goes out every week. I'm running a business and I'm a mom and I'm writing a book and I'm doing all these things. And they said, you need to have a podcast that you put out every week. And then I went to every other week because interviewing guests is fun, but it's challenging. You have to book them and prepare. And so that's why I decided to start advice from a CEO. I said, okay, I can do solo episodes one week and interviews the other week. And so that's how I came up with the uh, cadence that I have for my podcast. I hope you all like it. I've gotten really good feedback. I haven't heard from anybody who said, oh, I don't just only have guests or only do solo. So if you do have feedback for me, please let me know what you think if you like this cadence. Um, but I am very excited that this is my hundredth episode and looking back at all the amazing people I've met and all of the feedback that I've gotten about the impact of this podcast is just really, really rewarding. And I'm looking forward to taking it to the next level in 2023. So thank you for being a loyal listener. I appreciate it. If you're a new listener, welcome. I really hope that you enjoy this podcast. Okay. For my 100th episode, I have the most amazing guest. Her name is Emma Giles. She is a founder of SoWork, which is a product that helps companies set up virtual offices. So literally, you can have a virtual space and you can walk around in it and meet people and uh, on video and engage with them, trying to recreate what it's actually like to be in the office, even though you're working remote. I love this concept. I actually did a keynote speech in something similar. It might have even been so work. I'm not sure. Um, and it was fun. It was a little uh, hard to figure out at first, but I really appreciate that there are companies out there trying to figure out ways for employees to build connections with each other rather than just the standard tools of Slack and Zoom and all of those things. But how do you try to recreate the office even when you're not in the office so that the office just isn't someplace that you go, that it really is a supportive environment that allows you to connect and do your best work. So that's what they are all about. You need to go check it out. It's a really interesting product. So work. I have the web address in the show notes. But what I love even more about Emma is she is brilliant. She is probably the most self-aware and articulate leader I have ever met. The woman is absolutely brilliant. Before starting this company, she was a crisis counselor and a scientist, and you will see that because she is brilliant. And we have a fantastic conversation that I know you're going to enjoy for this 100 episode. So hang tight, and I'll be right back with Emma. All right. Welcome back, everyone. I have Emma Giles with me. Emma, I'm so glad you were on the show with me. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me, Carrie. Excellent. All right. So in your own words, tell us a little bit about who you are and um, and an intro into your leadership journey. Sure. Yeah. Um, so currently, um, I'm a co-founder of a company called SoWork. 
Um, so work as an early stage startup. We build virtual offices for teams that work digitally first, whether distributed or um, in the same sort of cities, they're digital first. And my sort of leadership journey, obviously in that company, I play a leadership role. Um, and before that, I came out of a few pivots of different companies to get here. So uh, have navigated a lot of change and uh, change through different markets, change through different teams and products, some of which happened during the pandemic. And then before all the startup stuff, I have a background in psychology, did some crisis counseling, things like that. And um, it seems like a very different track than what I'm on now, but I borrow so much from what I learned there um, and bring that into what I do today. Well, yeah, because you work with people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's all about people, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, almost every engineering problem, like that can all be techno technolo <laughs> technology problem. That can be solved. But people, we're messy. <laughs> Complicated. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So what inspired you to, to start the company? And tell us a little bit about your co-founders. Yeah. Okay. So I'll start with the people, my co-founders. Um, so one of my co-founders, uh, our CEO, Vish, he's my husband. We've done so many different things together. We worked at the WHO, the World Health Organization, together scaling you know, data programs from anywhere from what's it like to have smoking cessation programs in India versus Switzerland. So interesting problems there. We worked at Khan Academy together, creating free content for nursing and medical students. So we've done a whole bunch of stuff together. And he's like the I'm the, you know, like, okay, let's like make sure this all comes together. How are we going to do it? And he's like, the, I have a big idea. Um, let's get out there and let's do it. And I'll have to sort of run and keep up and bring it all together. Um, but he's the one that sort of pulls us forward. And then uh, my other co-founder, Mark, uh, so him and Vish met playing World of Warcraft video games a long time ago. Um, Mark is from Australia and then has been all over the world since then. And he's just an amazing technical wizard. So it's a privilege to work with both of those. And we ended up in this space with this product with this problem in the pandemic. So we started with a completely different product. We used to create recommendation algorithms for primarily for students who are looking to learn something online. So the problem we were solving is there's a lot of content online. We knew that from making a lot of it from Khan Academy. How do you navigate and get the right content at the right time based on where you're trying to go? And in the pandemic, we as a team were thrown into digital and remote times just like everyone else. And we built a product for ourselves, just something super janky, um, so we could come together and feel like we were more together in a natural way. And as soon as we had those two things side by side, we realized we were sitting on something big. And we looked forward and saw that the world of work was going to change forever. Um, so we pivoted into that and didn't look back. So is it a collab? So explain it a little bit. I'm, I'm super curi curious about it because there's lots of different things that are out there. So how is it different than, you know, Teams and Slack and some of these other collaborative tools that are out there? Yeah, totally. So our product works in, it's in two dimensions. It, it feels a little bit more than two dimensions, but it's basically a place where you can be with other people. You can choose to be connected to them. Um, you and I would be connected right now over video and audio, or you can just choose to be together, but not actually connected. So it's a virtual office. And yeah. the amazing thing about that is it means you're, you're in a shared place, but you're not always on, you're not always in a meeting. And that creates really interesting, what we call like between meeting moments, which is where a lot of the like humanity comes back into, into work. So whether you want to wave at someone or see that someone that you didn't realize you haven't seen in a while is here meeting with someone else interesting and run up to say hello. It brings something very interesting back to collaboration that some of the other tools can't quite scratch the itch of. Yeah, I get it. Um, yeah, I think that's the biggest thing that that we miss with working hybrid is that 
you know, those conversations just don't happen and they don't happen because like, Oh, I have to, you know, pick up the phone and call or zoom instead of just walk over to someone's desk and hammer it out in a couple of minutes. And, and that's really hard to recreate. Have you found that it's successful? I mean, tell us about how, tell us about how you've, how you've grown and what your customers are saying about it. Yeah. It's like, it's a pretty wild journey. I remember all the way back in the earliest stage of the pandemic, it was, wait, you can walk up to someone in a digital platform. Um, so that was like, how does this work? And then now it's like, okay, but seriously, how do I move a 3000 person organization into a virtual office? So if I sort mm -hmm. of like plot the different kinds of questions we get, it's a huge shift in terms of people's, or at least a subset of people's, like not just willingness, but desire to change the way they're working. So yeah, so those are the types of things that we get. But I think it's a for some teams, it's a no brainer. It's natural. It makes sense. For some teams, they're experiencing pains with other tools. And so they're looking for something different. And it's a matter of meeting them where they are and, and helping them incorporate it in a way that works for their culture. Yeah, absolutely. And so what's your vision for the company? There's so many ways. There's so many places we could go. Um, yeah. There's, you know, one of the cool things about the technology layer is we don't just have an opportunity to recreate the office. We actually have an opportunity to say what was really great about being co-located and what wasn't so, and what can technology bring that the physical or in real life office never could, um, insights, automation of things that maybe we don't need to be spending time on. So there's a really interesting space around the smart office where we can find ways to naturally blend the humanity and what was great and the technology that we're now able to have. And I think it's a really interesting like balancing act to go down that path and say like, what does the future of work look like? And how, how can the office be like a smart companion versus like a place that you just go? Um, so I'm super excited in that path. But I think one of the things I always keep in mind is even though remote work wasn't new before the pandemic, remote work feels new to this large of the market. And so yeah. we're every day I feel like I'm co-creating the vision in the future with our customers. So I have so many places I can imagine we go, but at the end of the day, it's like, where do our customers need us to go so they can navigate the new world of work? Absolutely. Fascinating. Fascinating. And so, I mean, this is, you know, I, I always am trying to wrap my head around the metaverse and like how it's actually <laughs> going to be used in a, in a, you know, in a functional way that helps humanity instead of says, oh, instead of skiing, you know, in real life, I'm just going to, you know, ski in the metaverse. Um, uh, and sorry, my, my son and I talk about that all the time. Um, <laughs> so I, I use that particular example. I'm like, I love it. Jack, okay, let's, ask, I want to ask you this. Would you rather ski in the metaverse or ski in, or, you know, in virtual reality or ski in real life? He's like, ski in real life. I was like, would you rather me buy you a, a new outfit or would you rather buy me a new skin for your avatar? And he's like, a skin for my avatar. <laughs> Like, oh my gosh, you know, <laughs> but that's the future, right? It's like balancing that whole idea of having experiences in virtual reality and still finding joy, you know, and finding joy and meaning in that. And then still what it's like, you know, actually going outside, going into the office and all of those things. So how do you see that virtual offices are going to continue to push the, I don't know, the reality, the, the feasibility of, of metaverse? Yeah, it's a fascinating question. I think, um, you know, really early in the pandemic, we had a lot of pressures, good pressures to solve hybrid challenges. And one of the thing with hybrid challenges is you've got the physical digital melding. You're trying to make sure the, the digital teammates feel as included and immersed as the physical ones. 
And that's that's a really hard problem. And I think that's where hardware um, could eventually be really beneficial. We chose to not not help with that, but we chose to go a little bit in a different direction. And what we really wanted to do is say, how can we keep the virtual office, the workplace metaverse, lightweight and something that comes with you, but is like like mobile versus like you have to go into um, and makes you feel connected, but doesn't actually start to erode or take away the very important components of life that are real. Um, and I think it's a really interesting blend. It's it's like, um, I almost see it the opposite way is like, what do our customers need from us? So they feel like technology is actually unlocking them to live the lives they need to versus how are we bringing life into technology to keep our customers in technology? And so we've yep. always tried to approach the way we solve customer problems through the lens of, I want our virtual office to be something that allows you to go skiing the middle of the day on a Wednesday with your son in a way that the physical office couldn't before because you are unlocked, but still able to meet with your team and feel connected, even if you only worked a half day in the morning and now you're in the mountains versus trying to say, come do the mountains in the, you know, in, in the metaverse. I think that's the backwards way to think about it. So we're really careful about like straddling that line. Yep. Nope. I think that makes total sense. Great. Well, thank you so much for explaining it that way. I think that was um, very articulate. <laughs> <laughs> it's an interesting, it'll be interesting to see what happens in, you know, a year from now as technology, the hardware is emerging, but I think it's like uh, the hardware should enhance the lives of our customers so that they can work in ways that are new and practical for the new world of work. And I think if we could stay anchored mm -hmm. to that, we could go to some really interesting places. Absolutely. I know. Good, 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 good. Excellent. Okay. So let's talk a little bit more about you. Um, I love that you say you are a raging generalist. Um, <laughs> I had never heard that, but I uh, am that as well. Uh, so I can totally appreciate it. So tell us a little bit about, you know, what it's like being a raging generalist and then, you know, stepping into founding this company and, 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 and building something that's really unique. Yeah, totally. You know, there's a, have you heard the, um, you know, Patrick Lencioni's framework, Working oh, yeah. Genius? Yeah. Yes. You know, so I'm a DG, a discerner, um, galvanizer. So I sort of sit in the middle of everything and just absorb the brilliance of some people and shuttle it over to the brilliance of other people. Um, and so I think I have like generalist mixed with sort of sitting in the middle of what most people think of as ideas and getting ideas done. I'm sort of just that kind of weirdo in the middle, um, interested mm -hmm. in everything. And I realized I was a raging generalist. The term I like is like to kind of really like lean into it is like being a generalist is not good or bad. It's, it's fantastic if that's who you are and you can unlock that. Um, but I was like super deep. I was doing computational neuroscience between Harvard and MIT. Like I was like down deep in a vertical. Um, and when I got to Harvard, I learned about the Harvard Innovation Labs. And my husband, he said, you got to just go spend time there. Just like what an amazing place to have at your doorstep. There's so many resources at that school. Like just go and, and be around that stuff. We didn't have a startup at the time. So I just started to do my homework um, there and was just around all this innovation. And I had this like light bulb aha moment. I'm like, what am I? I love what I'm doing, but I love everything else too. And I was so deep down a, a vertical. So I backed out of that, dropped out of my program and entrepreneurship from there. And I think um one of the things that I've discovered about myself is um, what I really love is like first principles thinking. And that's what I lean on is I, I take my first principles and I carry them with me to other places. And I think uh, one of the really cool things about being a leader is that once you realize uh, if you're a generalist and if that's sort of how you think about things, and I'm sort of like a zero to 20 kind of girl versus a like take it from 20 and really get it over the line. 
is what an amazing opportunity to be able to click into people that are experts and really good at what they do and love their craft. I always like, I feel like I have the privilege of being able to start something or go to a different place and be like, hey, you know this better. I have an intuition. I have like, I have a principle that I think could be relevant here. Like, can I plug into you because you know this space really well and I'd love to be able to empower you or leverage you. And I think it's, I've learned that it's such a privilege as a leader because you get to sit in all these interesting seats and plug into all your people and then set them up to be able to run with things, you know, whether it's tethered to a certain strategy or something. So that's sort of my my little like arc with generalism. And I think it's such a privilege uh, as a leader to to be able to recognize that about yourself if that's who you are. Yeah, I totally agree. I tell people, but the best part of my job is that I do a million different things in a day, right? I can be over here working on strategy. I can be negotiating an acquisition. I can be dealing with a, an, an employee who has a mental health crisis. I could be, you know, in the numbers, you know, working with my CFO. I can be with my board of directors and, and it's fascinating, right? I love that ability to bounce from thing to thing, to thing, to thing. And be able to help people help people see the vision and get alignment so then they can go and then I'm off to the next thing and um, a lot of t- people will tell me well that sounds exhausting but for me being a generalist um, I love it and that's why I think I was meant to be a CEO I didn't know that until you know I became a CEO uh, that that is a really um, it's very energizing for me and a lot of people who, are specialists and who do like to go deep, look at it, and I think are exhausted by it. I get this a lot. Um, how do you do deep work when you're a generalist? And I was like, oh my God, do you don't live inside my brain? Like I do deep thinking. I am such a deep thinker. I am constantly thinking about how all these pieces go together and how that translates into the vision that I have for the company and how I'm trying to anticipate, you know, what, what the future looks like. And it's very deep thinking, but I think that a lot of specialists don't understand that because, you know, all they see is like, and if you don't concentrate on something, you know, for a long time and really study it, you can't be a deep thinker. So anyway, that's just my experience with being a generalist. I love that so much. And it, the deep thinker part resonates with me, especially like I'm sort of like right on the border of like, I'm like, I could lean extrovert, I could lean introvert. And often yep. my deepness comes from when I lean more introverted and constantly processing. And then from as a work, nerd out a working genius, as a discerner, I'm just borrowing things from everyone and getting inspiration. And then by the time I go a little deep in action, there's been so much thinking that's gone into it. I think that's what you're describing. And I, I, exactly. what you just said resonates with me so much. <laughs> Yeah. 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 I, I'm like that, that ambivert too. Sometimes I'm outgoing and want, but I love my alone time um, because I like to have time to think and to study and to read. And, you know, my best ideas come when I'm not cramming my day full of lots of things and talking to people. So I share that when I tell people that what really energizes me is being alone, people are kind of blown away by that because like, well, but you're so outgoing. Don't you want to be around people all the time? Like, no. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I got to do my deep thinking. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Totally resonates. Totally resonates. Uh, I love that. I love that. So how has your experience working, you know, I mean, obviously as a crisis counselor, you've seen so many things, helped so many people 
And I'm sure that it's, it's helped you become a stronger person, a stronger leader. Like, how does that translate to how you show up in a startup? So one of the things about the early stages of a startup, especially, you know, as you take on like pandemics, as everyone did over the last couple of years, um, there's always a crisis. Um, and I think the, the so there's two sides to this coin. So on the one hand, for me, it takes a lot for it to feel like a crisis. You, you're being sued today. Okay. What, does council know? Um, they do. Okay. Okay. Let me know, you know, next time something happens like that kind of thing doesn't, um, it doesn't, it doesn't jar you if your reference point is very extreme. The, what that means is that you can show up as a calm person for your team. And I think, um, one of the things that's really powerful is if you can balance being calm, but still being able to be, and this is the other side of the coin, empathetic that, that for that person, it does feel like a crisis. And so I think there's this line um, that I used to sort of lean one way and then lean the other. Like, I'd be like, oh, this this is totally fine. Like, what's the dealio? And that's not very helpful. And that's my reference point. But the other is also don't want to over lean into their um, feeling of chaos because then you're not bringing the calm. So I've tried to find this like balance by pulling from both sides of my empathy and my um, reference point being this isn't a crisis, but it's going to feel like a crisis. So how can I bring the calm, figure out what's happening for you, help you navigate forward um, without uh, without ever making you feel like it's not, it doesn't feel chaotic, but it's going to be okay. And I think that has been a really fun balance to cultivate. And I'm definitely not perfect at it, um, obviously, but um, I really enjoy like practicing that balance. Yeah. You literally just described the conversation that I have with my husband like every single day. <laughs> he's an entrepreneur. It's just humans, right? Yeah, it is, right? And he comes home and he's like, oh my God, you're not going to believe it. And, you know, I'll just be like, well, I mean, it kind of is what it is. And, you know, just, you're just gonna have to like, take it as it comes. And he's like, you literally are like, not human the way that you just stay calm in stressful situations. And I always, I haven't, right. I don't have uh, training to, uh, you know, crisis counseling training to have taught me that, but I do have 16 years of running a company knowing yeah, that's that, crisis like, counseling training. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. You're right. It is <laughs> in its own way. But it's like, I have 16 years of knowing like that, what I used to think is a big deal and didn't turn out to be that big of a deal. Like, I just don't get worked up about it, but I, you know, I, I can really appreciate what you're saying there because, you know, I, I feel like I try to do it what, what you just described with my employees, be calm, help them get through it also make sure that they feel seen and heard, even though I know that it's all going to be okay. But it's so interesting with my husband. It's just like, why can't you just be more like me? You should just <laughs> calm down and like, you know, it's going to be fine. It is what it is. Like you freaking out about it isn't going to help. And he was like, this is not helpful. And so that just made, made me laugh because, you know, it's really interesting in those personal relationships and your work relationships, you know, how that calm, cool, calm and collected, uh, you know, shows up and how other people perceive it. Uh, and, and of course how you are showing up in that as well. The other side to that too, your husband's story is hilarious. You know, some, sometimes there's uh, even people that like that. So some people are like, yeah, like just tell me how it is, you know? So you, you're constantly encountering like new variants of what people, um, find helpful and sometimes in different contexts. One of the other things I've learned, um, uh, I think I got called like a cyborg the other day and not because I lack the um, like the color of a human, but more for the reasons you're describing, which is what shakes you? Like, why does nothing yeah. shake you? So one of the flip sides that I've sort of learned um, more recently is like, how do you 
continue to still be authentic. The worst thing is if your um, if your team does think that you are unshakable and that they have to be like that too. And there's nothing happening under the surface because there is stuff happening on the surface, especially for deep thinkers. So I think it's um, constantly trying to be, I want to be the calm force that I know I can be, that I feel inside, but also not appearing like nothing ever matters or shakes me and I'm inhuman. So it's this interesting balance um, that never gets perfectly striking, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, nope. I totally understand. Or, um, like my experience too, is then when I'm having a bad day or something does shake me, like it's shocking to people. Right. And they, and it scares people, even though it's like, this is not a big deal, uh, at, at all. But if you just always are showing up in that cool, calm and collected way, and then something is it's, you know, people aren't necessarily used to used to it. And so I've had to really learn how to like manage my emotions effectively, right? How do I, when is it the appropriate time to, to always just be cool, calm and collected, you know, help people get through it. Even if I'm inside, I'm panicking a little bit too. And sometimes it's okay to be like, you know what? Yeah, this is upsetting to me and let's talk about it. Or I am really excited and feeling passionate about this. And I want to make sure that, you know, my voice is heard. Do you find that, you know, you're having to navigate, like, when do you let some of that emotion show a little bit more than you might yeah. normally? Yeah, mm -hmm. totally. And I think especially over the last during, you take pivots, you take an emerging market, you take pandemic. I think a lot of us, we've all had our own variants of different um, like organizational stressors over the last while. And I think there, I, I often feel like I'm looping and I'm like, all right, this is going to be one of those moments where um, being the calm force is going to be really important. This is one of those moments where there's a little bit of humanity, extra humanity needed, where people actually do need to see that this is shaking you a little bit, but not yeah. so much that they feel worried. So I do think, and yeah. I'm sure others, especially in management and leadership over the last while, have found maybe bumping into contexts or like extreme versions of things that maybe they hadn't before with everything people have been going through lately. Absolutely. And do you feel comfortable getting being vulnerable with your employees like that? Like, is that something that comes easy for you or have you struggled with it? I feel comfortable. You know, I was with a teammate uh, yesterday and I, it's so mid, we're mid conversation. I just shared something with them. And in the moment I was, I was looping and I was like, hmm, I definitely like pivoted my tone based on their initial reaction but I realized that it's actually possible that was like unnecessary. I noticed they no I noticed they noticed it. So anyway, I was going through this like big loop in my head. So I just said it out loud. I was like, you know, I'm I'm gonna ask you directly, did this did this moment in time, was there any like thing with that that you want to talk about or clarify? Cause just so I'm being honest, I wasn't so sure. So I I adjusted uh -huh. how I acted there. I think I noticed something, but maybe not. Do you want to talk about it? And so I think that's like one variant of vulnerability where it's like if you can, you're almost like watching yourself as a leader and you can share that um, mm -hmm. with your team. And I think that's really cool in that one of the things we talk about a lot in our organization or, and that I try to talk about is around learning mindset. Learning mindset means that you're, you're constantly, you're okay with those failures because they're all micro like practices for something bigger. So I think for me, the things like that become more natural. I think what's less natural for me is more around the, the emotional side. The, for me, I express my emotions more internally. Um, that's where my introvert comes out. I, I process. I'm like, hold on. I just need 10 minutes, work through some stuff, come back. I'm like, cool, I'm good to go. And it wasn't because I didn't want to expose that part. I'll be like, yeah, I was just really angry and now I'm not. And they're like, 
you don't sound angry. And I'm like, that's because I, I process that internally. So I think being okay with that, but, but then still sharing it is like my sort of happy medium. But sometimes people are like, you don't sound angry. And I'm like, no, trust me, I was. <laughs> There's a gradient is sort of the last thing I would say there. And also making sure we don't push our employees too far on one side or the other. Um, some yeah. people are more comfortable, some people are less and sort of helping everyone find their, their happy medium. Yep. Yep, exactly. I mean, that's what authenticity is really about. It's about saying I'm comfortable being myself and, you know, there's some things that I'm going to be comfortable saying and doing, and there's going to be some things that I'm not. And so knowing, you know, how to express that and how to create those boundaries, I definitely can be a, a little bit of I don't want to say overshare, but um, I found the power of telling my story. I had very traumatic experiences in my 20s, and um, and I kept them very private because I had some shame around them. And uh, when I shared it with my team um, in a team building uh, activity where we were all getting very vulnerable, and I finally like just blurted it out, and then I saw how much deeper of a connection that it created with my team where it allowed people to feel safer talking about the adversity that they've overcome and the hardships and maybe a little bit of shame that they have around things. And it was just this incredibly powerful experience. And so I said, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to share my story more. And, um, and so I worry a little bit about that, like, because I'm so open and transparent and it's been part of my leadership style. Um, that I feel like other people feel like they need to do that same thing too. And it's like, no, look, I mean, I think everybody needs to find their level, comfort level of vulnerability. We connect through vulnerability. That's what, you know, nobody wants to say, oh, your per life is perfect. That's amazing. <laughs> so is mine. Yay. Let's connect. Right. It's like, oh, I'm really struggling with this. Like, oh, I've struggled with that too. Right. That whole empathetic um, aspect of humanity that you were talking about. Um, so I have to like talk to my employees, be like, you have to feel comfortable sharing what you're comfortable with. And, um, and that's your own authentic voice. And, um, and you don't have to take on, you know, the personality of, you know, of, you don't have to take on like, you know, my personality within this organization yourself, if that's not something you're comfortable with. So that's kind of something that I've had to really experience and work with people on. So I appreciated you saying that, you know, how, how do you find people, how do you help people find their comfort level? Because that's really important important. Like that's what creates a safe, that's what creates a psychologically safe work environment. Completely. So one of my personality things, traits, whatever we want to call it, um, quirks is I'm a complimenter. I'm, I'm an empath. I'm a, you know, I, I'm just one of those people. And so I can, I can pretty easily sense like, okay, uh, you you can feel like we're going too far this way. I can actually help by pulling us back a little bit that way. And so I one of I think one of my leadership styles is almost more meta in that I will I feel my best when I can sort of figure out where's the balance in the room and how can I this is a yeah. generalist behavior too. How can I like shift to the left to shift the energy of the organization? Um, and then if the organization is a little to the left, we can shift it to the right. And I think as leaders, we're often balancing. You know, every time the organization changes in some way we are rebalancing what we need to focus on. And I think one of my um, sort of styles, which has its, it has its pros and cons is um, sort of sensing where the balance is and seeing how I can try to shift the energy back. And I think when we think about people feeling um, like they can be their own version of what we're talking about, authentic and vulnerable, what, no matter what, what's, what your style is, at least being aware that there, there are personal differences and then trying to stay in touch with those and then as a leader, can you balance or can you um, set the organization up to allow rebalancing 
so people can find their zone, um, I think is a really interesting concept as well. Yep. How aware do you think that your employees are that you're doing this? <laughs> well, it'll be interesting. So most of them will hear this. So let's see. Uh, we can take a poll. <laughs> I think the ones that work the closest with me, um, they know. The ones that don't work as close with me, sort of day-to-day, moment-by-moment, side-by-side, they probably don't know, but they probably sense that I'm paying attention. Um, but they probably mm-hmm. don't um, have a sense of like how much I'm really putting into it. But I think... I could be wrong, but the people that were closest with me, they know like complimenter is actually something someone else um, sort of coined me as like, oh, you're complimenting again. So we we sort of discussed and like, oh, yeah, I am. And is should I be complimenting right now? Um, which way am I like leaning the organization? So I think most yeah. of our teammates would say, oh, yeah, she's paying attention. It's just what is what exactly is she seeing right now? And then those that work most closest with me know exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. So you have incredible self-awareness. Like, how did you develop this? How, where does it come from? Were you na- uh, naturally, innately self-aware or have you worked hard to hone it? I think uh, I'd say I'm naturally too self-aware and then I've worked hard to like dial it back. I'm an empath, which, you know, that's that has its pros and that has its challenges. Um, I'm often trying to sh- shift back and listen to my own tape versus listening to other tapes or listening to the tape that is me watching myself with others. So I sort of um, have learned to recognize the different tapes that are playing and how to make sure I get back into each one. I think the the crisis counseling was a big part of it. You know, one of the things that we, and I was quite young um, when I first started, uh, one of the things we learned right away is like, you're meeting people in these moments. I, I worked on a suicide line for quite a while. You're meeting people in these moments where they're they're considering that they're not going to continue to live, but they're they're taking one last step to reach out to someone. And in those moments, how are you coming across? Like you're you're meeting someone in this in this gap in time. And sometimes it didn't go well, and sometimes it went really well, and sometimes I don't know how it went. And so you're mm-hmm. you're acutely aware of how you're connecting with that person, and each person needs something a little bit different. And I think when you combine just sort of my natural inclinations with that really early on. I became hyper aware of how I was coming across in some of the most heightened moments. And I think the ones where you don't know how it went or they didn't go well, you have to learn how to both reflect on that and not beat yourself up for that. Um, because obviously the first thing you do is you you beat yourself up and then you have to learn, I didn't have control over that. Is there something I want to learn from that? And that's a very delicate balance. And then I think over time, and then yeah, over time, I just tried to actually cultivate it to to be a bit kinder to myself and listen to myself more um, versus watching myself so much. So I've sort of had to cultivate it the other way. Yeah, that's a really interesting perspective. Thank you for sharing. And so talk about how you make sure that you don't take on other people's stuff, right? (laughs) Being very self-aware, being an empath and being willing to dive into the messiness of of humanity. How do you make sure that that you don't take people's, people's stuff on? I used to uh, all the mm-hmm. time. And I think the the thing that I, I wouldn't say learned because that sounds like past tense. The thing that I practice is mm-hmm. <clears throat> I don't do anyone any good when we, we there's sort of the, uh, there's not being aware of what's happening for someone. Then there's being aware. Then there's being able to really feel it and empathize. And then there's actually taking it on. And right. when you go all the way to taking it on, there's... I learned for myself that I actually, there wasn't really much benefit to myself or them in that place. Whereas the place where benefits were is being able to be 
aware that something was happening for them and being able to empathize with it, but still being able to stay within yourself. So I think I learned over time that there's a there are different steps along the path. It's not black or white. It's not yet you're completely leaned in, taking it on, or you're not aware at all. And I tried to define those steps and found the balance of like, when am I giving my gift versus when am I actually taking away from the situation, either by taking on too much for someone and not letting them own um, whatever it is they need to own or, you know, uh, it just there's just no uh, returns at a certain point. And I think I learned um, personal responsibility is a very powerful thing. And yeah. there's a point at which you're actually uh, you're taking on more than you need to and that person that isn't able to own own what they need to. Once I learned that and I saw that in action, I was able to find that sweet spot. And then I'm constantly sort of recalibrating myself into that zone. And then you can sort of feel it over time. Yep. I learned that lesson the hard way. So um, at, because I, I'm, an, I'm an, uh, an empath as well, and I like to connect and go deep, and I'm not afraid to talk about hard things. I've had employees who have opened up and shared things that they've never shared with people before. And I had a, a former employee who had a mental breakdown in my office and told me some things that like, you know, I was like, okay, this is, this is not good. And eventually we had to part ways, you know, pretty soon after that. And I, I was like, I can't, I, I have to have those boundaries. And I didn't take it on as in like, you know, it was I, it wasn't my, it was like, it was my, well, I guess kind of like I wanted to help. And as a leader, if I could help him through this, then, you know, he could be this really amazing employee and person and all of that. I saw all that potential. So I like took a personal responsibility. Like this is going to define my leadership if, um, I can really like step in, lean in and help. But what I did is I created, I was the crutch for this person. And that boundary, like I can't, I was like, I can't cross that line again because it's not healthy, right? You can be an empathetic leader. You can be a very caring boss and you can help people through crises, but you have to have boundaries to say, I am still your boss, right? I'm still the leader of this company. And, and there are things you can say to me, that's okay. And then there are some things that we just need to get you to the right person to talk to, because you don't want to say this stuff to me. You don't want to tell this to me. And, you know, this is probably about five or six years into, um, into my leadership journey here at Stone Age. And I'm really glad that I learned it and it sucked at the time. It was really tough. Tough for me, it was tough that that person. It was tough for all my employees because you know it was it was a key a key person, and you know people knew that there was things going on. People knew I was investing a lot of time into trying to help this person, and they were some people got it. Some people were like wondering why, you know, what are you doing? Why is this worth it? And it was really powerful about kind of creating those boundaries. Like just because you can go there and just because I'm comfortable going there and can be like, okay, well, that was a good conversation. Now I'm going to go do my other thing because I just compartmentalize it. Not everybody does that. And so, you know, that's how I had to learn those boundaries of like what is appropriate to um, what depth do you go in some of these things? And what, what do you take on as a leader, as your responsibility? And what is that other person's responsibility? Yeah, totally. And there's something um, that you said in there that I love, which is you said you might be able, I, like, yes, I could go there with you and um, I, but you might not want to be sharing these things with me because we're still in this context and how can we get you help over here? There's something really interesting in there, which is um, the same inclination or ability to know maybe what need, need the person might need next, might need next, 
we can use that same information to say, I'm going to draw the line here. And I know that what you need next is some level of support. So I think we can find those boundaries and then still offer our uh, ability to see there's more, but not in us doing it. So, hey, like I really recognize that this has been really challenging for you. I really appreciate you sharing it with me. I'd love to help you find the support that you need outside of the company. If Would you like help with that? Or do you feel like that's something that you'd be able to do? And we can suddenly like flip roles and say, I'm a supporter of you finding the support you need versus I'm the supporter who's doing the support you need. And I think I've like practiced, like, how do I flip my chair once we get to that point? So that I'm still someone that within the organization, you know that you shared this with me and I'm in- invested in you getting to where you need to, but I'm not necessarily going to do the journey for you or with you. Yep. 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 Totally agree. Very well said. Very well said. So are you teaching people in your organization? I mean, this is one of the things I'm passionate about, right? Is how do I teach like my, the way that I look at things, the way I care about people with boundaries, with expectations, like pushing hard, but, you know, loving, caring, um, as we're, we're trying to build a billion dollar company here, as I'm sure you are too. Um, how are you teaching your employees, you know, this mindset that you have, this approach that you have? Yeah, I think, um, in the earliest stages, especially, it's like, go, 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 like we're default dead, you know, like all these things about the early stage startup. So one of the things I, I like to do is sort of like assess what is the, what's the stage we're in, what time is available, and then sort of adapt it to that. So I think at these stages, it's working alongside people, modeling in your own way, and then meeting people where they are, but more importantly, where they want to go. And then um, being whatever kind of resource you can be. And sometimes I'm not the best teacher for something. And sometimes I could be in that moment. And sometimes I might be the best person to find the best teacher because I'm not the best teacher, but maybe I, I could find someone. But I think the in these earliest stages, I find myself as much as I can working side by side with people. Modeling is number one. And then number two is if people are finding value in that, coaching in the moments. Um, mm-hmm. And I think as the company grows a little bit, you have a bit more resources and bandwidth to mm-hmm. to grow that. Um, and and sort of go from there. Yeah, I love this. Well, I could talk to you about this all day. Uh, <laughs> this is such a fun conversation, but we're gonna have to wrap things up here. Uh, so thank you for that insight. I do have one final question for you. So the name of this podcast is Reflect Forward. What does Reflect Forward mean to you? Oh, yeah, I love the name Reflect Forward. Um, I have a different word I've used to describe the same sort of thing, at least when I think about it, which is we call it preflecting. So when I think about like, so reflecting is like, all right, I'm going to look back and I'm going to reflect on backwards. Preflecting is I'm going to maybe look back and pull forward and then play time forward um, and sort of reflect forward. Um, But I think the name to me is like, it's this beautiful balance of like, there's stuff from the past, there's stuff in the future, whatever happened in the past, like how can we pull that in to now and use it as a lens to think about tomorrow? Um, whether we're practicing it or just carrying it with us. And so I think reflect forward is about not just looking backwards and saying, yep, cool, I did the thinking, but it's like, how do I carry it into the future with me? Ah, such a great answer. Thank you for that. (laughs) I love it. And preflect. I am so taking that. (laughs) Do it. I love yours too. I'm going to steal yours. (laughs) Okay, we can do that. Great. We'll switch. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, so how can people find you? So, so work.com, um, yeah. so work.com right at the top is a button. It's to our office. I live there. Um, it helps you sort of see our team in action. Um, but also we love visitors. Um, so meet me in my product. So work.com. Love it. All right. Well, I will include that in the show notes. Emma, cool. this has just been such a fun conversation. You are such a lovely human being, and I'm so glad I got to know you a little bit today. Thank you for having me. It's been great talking to you.
Wonderful. All right, hang tight and I'll be right back. All right, everyone. I hope that you loved that interview. I could have kept going on with her, but we had to stop. Uh, She is such a wonderful person and I hope you got a lot out of that. So thanks for joining me. Take care until next week. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to it, write a review, share it with a friend. I always appreciate it. Thanks so much. See you next week.